reminded on this day of prayer as we join with our brothers and sisters around the world in praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering and struggling and persecuted and literally dying for their faith. We, we are reminded in Ephesians 6 that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, that they may be given boldness to speak and proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So we do pray that for our brothers and sisters around the world in the face of, of, in the face of uh, threats to their lives and livelihood to stand firm, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, we pray that they would have an open door uh, to proclaim the word uh, to the world that needs to know about Jesus Christ. We, we pray that they would be able to endure that others may obtain salvation and, uh, and eternal glory through Jesus Christ. Father, in these last days, the, we are promised they will be times of difficulty, um, but we pray for our brothers and sisters, that they would fight the good fight, that they would finish the race, that they would keep the faith, and ultimately, Lord, that they would receive the crown of righteousness and bring you glory. Lord, as we look forward to that day when we'll be gathered with a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, as we're standing before the throne, before the Lamb, worshiping and praising the God of all creation, God, we look forward to that day, but even so, as we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, we pray also, Lord, help your children. Protect them, strengthen them, give them endurance that they may bring you glory. God, we pray this for our brothers and sisters as they face death, as they face persecution, as they face abandonment, as they face poverty, uh, for trusting you. I pray that they would have faith to endure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dennis. Thank you so much. Let's continue throughout the day to uh, remember to pray, and not just throughout this day, but uh, other times as well, to pray for those who pay for their faith with their, with their lives. This is Time Change Sunday. Did everybody change your clocks? Yeah, evidently. Hey, welcome if you're tuning in by way of uh, YouTube or uh, Facebook, either one. We're so glad to have you with us. Next week, we'll be preaching, Lord willing, on the miracle of catching fish. Where I grew up, it was a miracle if you ever caught one. <clears throat> That's why I don't like to fish to this day. I can't stand fishing. You put a line in the water and you sit there for four hours and nothing happens except you get mosquito bites, the only kind of bites I ever got in Illinois. So, um, But the miracle of catching fish next week, Lord willing. Pray for Tuesday. Pray for Tuesday. Pray for Tuesday. Whatever happens, whoever wins, pray for God's will concerning that. Okay, vote. Be sure to vote. I was going to say vote early and vote often, but that's just a joke. Uh, <clears throat> be sure to vote. Civic responsibility, Christian responsibility we have. But you know what? God's will be done. I mean that with all my heart. God's will be done. Whatever his will is, uh, that is exactly what we ought to want. But regardless of who wins, I feel like there's going to be some strange things going on uh, in the hours and days, perhaps weeks after that. So let's pray for our country uh, like you never have before, okay? Continue to do that. If you need something, if we can help you out, uh, you be sure to let us know. We'll be glad to do what we can. <clears throat> Members of First Baptist Church, thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving. Uh, and if uh, you need to uh, go online to give, you can do so at fbcoronado.com or the U.S. mail works either way. Uh, Dennis and, and his wife, Randy, are here and their family. The kids are out here. Uh, and uh, we are so glad to have them back with us. Dennis, come give a, a testimony about what God's doing with your ministry at this point in time. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the time, and, and, and won't take a lot of time. <clears throat> but uh, this church has a lot of turnover, uh, some familiar faces, but a lot of folks, you have no idea who we are. Uh, so we want to let you know who we are. We are Dennis and Brandy Kelly. Our five kids are here. Um, we've been members here for six years, and uh, we are your missionaries uh, that serve uh, in missionary care, member care, pastoral care to missionaries. Um, I retired from the Navy as a chaplain. God called us to this ministry to encourage missionaries in the field. And uh, so now for the past six years, we've been living and sailing a 38-foot catamaran, seven people in less than 400 square feet of living space. So it's a, it's a very close-knit family. 
Our ministry, our boat and our ministry is called Ankyrios Ministries. Uh, Ankyrios is a word that we made up. It's uh, two Greek words, Ankura and Kyrios, so anchored in the Lord. And it's taken from Hebrews 6.19, uh, paraphrased. Basically, we have this hope as a secure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And that hope, we know, of course, is our only hope, is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it is our purpose to uh, help keep missionaries um, securely set on that anchor and that hope in Christ and to not drift from that single purpose of staying anchored in Christ. Uh, we have reached, directly ministered to uh, over 200 missionaries in more than 20 countries doing things like counseling and mentoring, and discipleship, uh, prayer, debriefing, conferences, uh, building projects, uh, covering ministries for um, missionaries, as well as forcing them to take a break and taking them sailing for the day to, to do some uh, R&R. Um. Um, some of the other things we've done, the missionaries that we've worked with, they are involved in things like church plants, youth ministries, um, prison ministry, home churches and Bible studies, discipleship for new believers, um, transition homes and orphanages, um, ESL classes, uh, uh, job training for orphans um, so that they can get out and get a job, um, homeless ministry, we've done Operation Christmas Child, um, getting to be on that end of delivering those boxes is pretty, um, pretty neat, um, helping at retreat centers and summer camps, um, and uh, missionaries that are also involved in addiction recovery ministries. The other side of what we get to do um, is because of our unique choice of living situation and traveling by boat, um, there are, there's a huge community of boaters out there that a lot of people don't realize. And so we've been able to minister to hundreds, um, probably thousands of boaters and, uh, throughout the four years that we've been sailing in uh, Mexico and Central America. So our plan at this point, uh, the boat is in uh, Puerto Penasco. We've got it hauled out on the, on the hard. Uh, and Puerto Penasco is just about an hour south of the Arizona border in the Sea of Cortez. Uh, we're um, out for hurricane season and our annual maintenance and um, annual uh, overhaul. Uh, so we'll be launching within a couple of weeks after we get some of that work done uh, heading south. We have a conference in La Paz in January. And uh, we will be looking at a potential future ministry site in Guadalajara, um, maybe a land-based situation. We'll, we'll, we're still exploring what God has for us. Uh, and in the meantime, we will be spending time with the 40-plus missionaries we've gotten to know in Mexico and serving them. Um, so I want to say thank you for your partnership as a church in supporting our ministry. Um, you... You have allowed us to provide these services to missionaries at no cost. A lot of, uh, a lot of people who do what we do uh, charge for those services. And uh, thanks to your support, we don't have to do that. Uh, we can provide that no, um, no cost to them. So 100% of our support goes to support missionaries. Um, currently, we are at about a third of our budget, um, and we're about to lose about 25% of that. Um, so that will directly impact the ministry that we are able to do. So if anybody would like to talk to us more about what our ministry looks like and how you might support us, certainly through prayer or financially, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. Please stand with us so we can continue worshiping the Lord.
y'all know something, in case you don't know this, uh, today, um, this song, Hope Has a Name, His Name is Jesus. I'm preaching on hope, and every week, uh, Sharon not only provides the piano music, but also uh, plans the music around the theme of what I'm preaching on. So your life's verse deal fit right in there, too, with hope being mentioned in that verse. So God has his hand in, in planning the services as well. Thank you so much for doing that every single week. Let's let them know we appreciate them again. We don't do that often enough. Thank you. you. May be seated and turn in your Bibles, adults, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Going to be talking on about the miracle of hope. But before we get there, boys and girls, you watching at home, boys and girls in the auditorium here. Boy, it's so good to see boys and girls in the auditorium here again. It's been a while, and I'm glad to have you here. And I'm going to ask you a question. Boys and girls, ask you a question, but first I'm going to turn my phone off, so make sure you do the same thing. We don't want to be interrupted, all right? Uh, uh, what superhero would you like to be? Somebody have an idea? What superhero, boy and girl, tell me? No? No superhero fans here? All right. Yes. What would you like to be? Jesus. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 5. Uh, <clears throat> Back in the old days when I was carnal uh, and a kid, there were very few superheroes. There was Superman, of course, and then there were super cowboys like Hopalong Cassidy. Anybody remember him? No? Okay. Roy Rogers, you remember him? Okay. A couple of you gray hairs. All right. Sky King. Anybody remember Sky King? Yeah. And, and a few others. There was even a super spaceman named... Uh, that one too, but he's before my times, old man. Uh, I was thinking of Flash Gordon. I was thinking of Flash Gordon. But of all of these, there was only one true superhero with supernatural powers, and that was Superman, Clark Kent, the only real Superman there ever has been. He was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and could leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. Today, there are so many superheroes you can't even name them all. Some of you might even have dressed up one of your favorite superhero, maybe for Halloween. So which superhero would you be if you had the chance? And, and here's mine. I'm going to show you mine right now. Josh, thank you for doing that. Okay. All right. This, this is my superhero. We've got a slide that will help you see who it is. And that's how I saved the world. So you were right on, Josh, with that, uh, the superhero. Thank you, Isaac, for the shirt. I love it. And uh, that's the one. There's so many superheroes, but there's only one. Here's mine. And, and he, is, um, he is someone that we ought to be like in every way that we possibly can. So how can we be like Jesus? Should we walk around in white robes? Should we wear a crown of thorns? That wouldn't be good. Uh, should we feed people fish and bread and, and somehow uh, be like Jesus? Not necessarily, but there are ways that we can be like him. I can be justified, first of all. Now, that's a big word, justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned. That's kind of what it means. And so in, in Romans 3, 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. It's by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And, and, you know, like you put on costumes, like if you dressed up last night for Halloween, you put them on. The Bible actually says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for flesh and the lust thereof in Romans 13, 14. Another way we can be like him is to obey him in all things. <clears throat> by one man's disobedience, that is Adam, we were all made sinners. But by the obedience of one man, that is Jesus Christ, shall we be made righteous. Now, when Christ saves us, boys and girls... And we try to be like him, <clears throat> and we obey him, then and only then can we become more like our superhero, Jesus Christ. By the way, all the other guys here and gals, all the other ones are fake. They don't really exist. But Jesus Christ exists, and he has existed forever and will exist forevermore. So he is the true and the only real superhero. In Mark chapter 5. As we get into the study today, the miracle of hope, we studied the miracle associated with the former maniac of Gadara, 
uh, previously from this chapter, and I say former, and I'm so thankful that, uh, that we can say former. Paul says, such were some of you, and he mentioned a whole list of sins, such were some of you. Now, let me tell you something. What you were doesn't define who you are today. What you were doesn't mean that's who you are today. It doesn't mean there's no way out, no way around. It doesn't mean you're forever <clears throat> have to carry that sign with you, that, that, uh, that name written across your forehead of, of drunkard or thief or murderer or adulterer or whatever. It doesn't mean that we're stuck with that always. Thankfully, our past does not have to define us today and into the future. Uh, so <clears throat> when Jesus came to the maniac of Gadara, the demons were cast out of the man, and, and, and the man wanted to go with him, wanted to go with him to uh, minister alongside of him. But Jesus told him to go home and tell others what had happened to him. Do you know that's kind of what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to go home and tell other people what has happened to us, that we met Jesus and he changed our lives. We're supposed to go to work and let people know that we are Christian. We're supposed to go into our neighborhoods and let people know. They ought not be surprised or shocked if they find out we go to church and we believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, this man obeyed Jesus. As a result, <clears throat> people all over the Ten Cities area were amazed at the, trans at the transformation of his life and came to be believers. Many of them did. So having performed that miracle of casting out the demons, Jesus returns to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee on the western banks. Isn't that amazing? How many times in our study of miracles, and I think we've, this is number 19 or 20 that we've studied, he goes back and forth across the Sea of Galilee to the Gentile side, back to the Jewish side, back to the Gentile side, back to the Jewish side. So now uh, he's going back to the Jewish side on the western banks. And we find that miracle within a miracle that we already referenced once, but we're going to look at it in a different way. So read with me in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship to the other side, much people gathered in him. That, that was also a frequent thing. Wherever Christ would show up, the people would crowd around him. And he, he was near to the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue. He was a presiding elder over others, uh, Jairus by name. And when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly. And that word besought him means it comes from, it comes from the Greek combination uh, word parakaleo, which is the same title used of the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? So uh, he, he besought him. He begged him uh, greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she may live. And Jesus went with him. Now, this was immediately... By, by way of contrast to what he did when he heard that Lazarus was sick. You remember? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there yet two more days. But this time, uh, Jairus says, my daughter's sick to the point of death. Would you please come and lay hands on her and, and heal her? And immediately he went with him. And many people followed him and thronged him. They, they pressed together on all sides. And a certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years. Remember her? And she had suffered many things of many physicians. She'd spent everything she had. She wasn't the least bit better, but rather grew worse. And when she had heard that Jesus came, uh, she came in the press behind him and touched his garment. And she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be whole. And, and in summary, uh, this woman, she heard about him. She hoped. She touched his garment. She was healed. So this trek to Jairus' house, this trip to Jairus' house was stopped for just a moment, was interrupted for just a little while. And in verses 29 through 34, the results of which were the healing of this woman who had been sick for such a long, long time ago. So we studied that particular miracle within a miracle a few weeks back. So we're going to skip part of that and go down to verse 35. And while he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain people who said, your daughter's dead. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Don't be phobeo. We get our word phobia from it. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Only believe. Have faith. And he allowed no man to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult 
and them that, were, that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why are you making such an uproar and weeping? The damsel is not dead, but is asleep. And here, he uses the same euphemism that he did uh, with Lazarus. Lazarus is asleep. And when the disciples didn't understand that, in fact, he was dead, then he was playing with them and said, uh, the Lazarus is dead. And so he came in and said, this, this young lady is, is not, she's, just, she's asleep. Don't worry about it. And they laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the young girl and them that were with him and entered into the, dam, to the damsel that was lying, into the where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which means young maiden, stand up, arise. And straightway, right away, the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. So today I want to emphasize that nothing is hopeless in Christ. Nothing is hopeless as long as Jesus is around. Your health is not hopeless, is it, Gary, uh, as long as Christ is around? Your family member is not hopeless. Don't give up on a family member who's not trusting Christ. Don't give up on a family member who seems to be astray. Uh, it's not, he's not hopeless. She's not hopeless as long as Christ is alive. Your finances are not hopeless. They may look like they're hopeless, but they are not hopeless. God somehow will take care of you and provide for you. Even our political situation today is not hopeless. And folks, if our political situation today is not hopeless, they ain't nothing hopeless, right? So it's, it seems to be pretty bad right now. But to prove that point, Jesus raises the dead. I mean, you don't get any more hopeless than when someone has died. You who have lost loved ones. You who have lost children, you who have lost a spouse, you who have lost parents, you who have lost brothers or sisters, you who have lost close friends, when, they, when, when you see that casket lowered to the grave, you see those ashes scattered, your hope for that person is gone. But Jesus can even raise the dead. He did so with the widow's son at Nain. He did so with Lazarus, and now he does so with this young maiden, this young girl, 12 years of age. Sometimes when Jesus performed miracles, the doubters would question if it really happened. And when he, when he would heal a man who was lame or heal a man who was blind, uh, blind uh, then people would say, well, is this really the same guy? Was he really blind? Was he really lame before? Is this some kind of a trick? But folks, when someone's dead and, and, and they're gone and then they come back to life, that's a tough thing to argue against. No one doubted that. The family knew for sure. The mourners knew, the professional mourners, even Jesus' enemies knew that something special had happened. So I want to look specifically at the, the role of hope and faith in God. Jairus, first of all, was a Jewish religious leader. Usually, I, I will say a lot of the time, probably the majority of the time, the, religious, the Jewish religious leaders were some of his arch enemies. They were some of his um, most um, vehement opposition, uh, the, other, the other religious leaders of his day. And here's a word of caution for us. We should not think we're the only people who have the truth. Religious pride is still pride. You know that? Religious pride is still pride. Uh, I, think of, uh, I think of Elijah under the juniper tree, and, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one alive. I'm the only one faithful to God. I'm the only one still proclaiming the truth. And the angel said, yeah, I still have 7,000 people who haven't bent the knee to Baal. There's still some more people. And thank God for the brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ who don't necessarily believe everything just exactly like you and I do, but I'm going to tell you something. If they believe that Jesus Christ is the almighty son of God and that he was crucified and buried and rose again on the third day and that salvation is by grace through faith, they believe that, you're going to live next door to him in heaven whether you like it or not. It's not going to be like the angel was taking people, new, new arrivals in heaven on a tour, and, and they were going around, and he was showing them all the sights and sound. They came to one place, big, huge wall, and someone said, excuse me, what is that? He said, oh, we've got to be quiet. Those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> there are saved of every kindred, tribe, and nation, and tongue, 
and, and God will make room for them all in heaven. And so let's not be religious, prideful people. Uh, let's, let's be Christian and loving people that he would have us be. But this was a Jewish religious leader. He was a father, okay, had a, a young daughter, and, and he, was, he was either open-minded or had heard about Jesus and had hope for some reason, or he was desperate, or all three, probably all of those things. He had a desperate need. He was distressed. And Luke's version of this same miracle tells us this was not only a young daughter, this was his only daughter. This was his only daughter, maybe his only child. And, and she was 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. And he knew that he could do nothing about it. He knew the doctors could do nothing about it. He knew that it took something very special, something supernatural, someone supernatural. And he had at least... A, enough faith, the size of, uh, maybe of a, of a mustard seed, I don't know, that he knew that Jesus could make a difference. And so he fell at Jesus' feet, and he cried out to him, Parakaleo, he begged him, he, he, he asked for God to do, do something in his life. So that's Jairus. Jairus. And, and secondly, in Christ there are no hopeless situations. Now, in a way, the prayers of people can change the plans of God. In a way, in a way, the way that we see it. But I'm gonna, I, I want to tread very carefully here. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. You know what repentance is? Repentance is a change of mind. Now, when we talk about repenting, we talk about our nation needing to, uh, to humble ourselves, our people, our leaders, our Christian uh, members of our society. We need to humble ourselves. We need to uh, ask God's forgiveness. We need to repent, turn from our wicked ways. That's what repentance is. God will never turn from his wicked ways because he has no wicked ways. But God is, and the Son of Man uh, will not repent uh, has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he shall not make it good? What God says goes. And uh, listen to Jonah 3, 9 and 10. There seems to be a contradiction here. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So Jonah went to the city uh, in Assyria, the, the city uh, of great wickedness, Nineveh of great wickedness that were known for torturing uh, those who disagreed with them, they were, they were brutal. They were merciless. They were, uh, they were I mean, brutal people. And, and so he didn't want to go there initially, but you know the story of Jonah and the great fish, and he wound up going there, and he preached. And, uh, and, and who can tell if God will turn and repent and, and turn from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do to them, and he did it not. Someone says, okay, see? God does change his mind. Now, Numbers says God doesn't change his mind. Jeremiah 3, uh, Jonah 3, rather, says that God did change his mind. Is this a contradiction? I want you to know something. If there's any contradiction of the word of God, the whole of the foundation of the word of God becomes uh, broken and, and unreliable. But how can both of these references be true? This is an, uh, an anthropological mode of speaking. It's as if God changed his mind. It's as if uh, that which he was going to do, that's what he said he was going to do, he decided not to do and changed his mind. So it's taking man's view of the transaction and, and he repented. The sentence was conditional. The sentence of death and destruction upon uh, the city of Nineveh was conditional. Chapter 4, verse 2. And in accordance with the great principle laid down in Jeremiah 18, 7, that is, if a nation against which a judgment is pronounced turns from their evil ways, the sentence shall not be executed. God does not change, but he threatens that man may change. Here's the thing. When God said, go to Nineveh and preach, and, and I'm going to destroy them, it was all conditional upon the fact that he already taught and already said and already written down that if any nation that he's bringing judgment on repents of that, then he will forego that judgment. His own nation, Israel, when they would turn back to him, he would give them grace and mercy and deal with it. And so he knew when they would repent. He knew when they would change their ways. He knew when they would come back to him. And so in the determinate for counsel of Almighty God, he already had his plan. He, he knew before Jonah went to Nineveh that they were going to repent. And it was already his plan 
that he would then not destroy them. By the way, he did another generation or so later because they lapsed back into sin. Just as Israel lapsed back into sin after they were giving warning after warning after warning, and, and they finally quit coming back to God, and so God brought the judgment upon them that he said he was going to. So it's not that God changed it. God knows ahead of time what we're going to do, how we're going to respond. God knew you would receive Christ. God knew you would repent of your sins, or he knew you wouldn't, whichever it is in your case. And therefore, his will was predicated on that fact. Now that I've completely thoroughly confused you on that, (laughs) theologically, God never changes his mind. Theologically, it's always settled. My inability to explain it appropriately doesn't affect the fact that he never changes his mind. He knows the prayers that will be prayed. He knows the actions that will be taken from eternity past. Before he ever created Adam and Eve in the garden, he knew what we would pray and what we would say. And so in a practical way, prayer changes things. You say, well, preacher, if he already knows, what's the point of me praying? He knows, he foreknew when you would. And he built his plan around what was going to happen according to his foreknowledge. Jairus' daughter was dead. All hope was gone. But for the Christian, it was not all gone because God came in and did something that nobody else could have done. So let's look at the role of faith. In the Greek text, the announcement was, dead is thy daughter. That's the construction. Not your daughter is dead, like we would say it. Dead is your daughter. But before Jairus' hope could be destroyed... Immediately, Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. What is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of COVID-19? Are you afraid of violence in the light of all the craziness that's going on? Are you afraid for your ability to be able to pay your house payment or your rent or whatever? What are you afraid of? Don't be afraid. Only believe. The young girl is not dead but asleep. Hope is something that keeps us afloat when the boat has holes all over it in the, in the bottom of it. It is hope that keeps us afloat. The girl is not dead but asleep. The body appears to be asleep. It's, not a, it, 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 it's a euphemism. It's an easy way of saying, yeah, she's dead, but the body appears to be asleep. It seems that people either have faith in Jesus or they have to ridicule him. Do you ever notice that? Am I the only one who wonders why when people curse, they use God's name instead of, say, Buddha? Well, Buddha, doggone this. (laughs) Or Confucius. Uh, They don't use his name. They don't curse in the name of leprechauns. They don't use God, they don't use Muhammad's name. They just talk about God, do this, and Jesus, and and they use his name in flippant ways. Why do you suppose? You either either have faith in him, or you have to, it seems like built into us, programmed into us, we have to then ridicule. That's what they did here. She's asleep, and they ridiculed him. They tried to shame him. They tried to mock him, make fun. Why don't, why don't people curse in the name of Satan? They don't. They use God's name. Didn't mean to say all that. Jesus told her to rise, and she did. Then he commanded she be fed, and she was. Luke says her spirit returned to her, and this was a resurrection. Her spirit had departed. The spirit was gone. It came back. This is a bona fide resurrection, a regain, not a regaining of consciousness after fainting. And just to prove things, dead people can't eat, so he had food set before and she ate. It may be of great comfort to many of you, like it is to me, that we will eat in heaven. And there's going to be lots of gluten, (laughs) sugar, (laughs) fried okra, and uh, mm, okay, he raised her from the dead. Feed her, and, she, and they did. So Jesus ate at his resurrection, by the way, too. He broiled fish after his resurrection, broiled fish on the seashore, and they ate together. Now, let me give you a, a disclaimer, okay? I should have maybe have given this a little bit before. Uh, I'm not saying if you pray, a loved one will not die. I'm not saying if you pray and the loved one dies, that then that loved one will come back to life 
immediately right then and there. I'm not saying that. Well, then, preacher, how do you explain how some do and some don't? And how do you explain how God? I don't explain all that. I don't understand. I know God has a plan, and God will work his plan, and God has a will, and God will work that will. And ours is to pray what we want, what we believe we want God to do, but always, always, always to say, not my will, but thine be done. Amen? Remember, the miracles... Even in the Bible, miracles are few and far between. The, I don't know if you noticed it, but they're, they're not miracles in every book of the Bible. There are lots of places, lots of chapters, lots of books where there are no miracles performed whatsoever. Jesus doesn't need to prove who he is now. He doesn't need to show his credentials anymore. He accomplished what he needed to accomplish in the resurrection. So we look forward to the resurrection. We have a hope for that. And now, mainly to irritate my wife, I want to show the next slide. A Norwegian wharf rat. The power of the Norwegian wharf rat. This is a joke. This is a private joke. Because I had this illustration that I used years ago. And every time I, I think of it, or we talk about hope, she always brings it up and starts cackling. I don't know what the deal is, but... This was an actual experiment they did. They took Norwegian wharf rats, they put them in a barrel of water, and they left them there until they couldn't swim any longer, and they drowned. Then they took more Norwegian rats and put them in there and timed it and went up to the very point when they were almost ready to give up, and they would take them out. And they would let the rat renew itself and rest and, 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 and so on. And, and then they would put it back in the water. Do you know what they found out? They found out the Norwegian rats that had been spared were able to hang on longer the second time because they had a salvation experience. See, it's a good illustration. I don't know why she laughs at that so much. Hope made the difference. Hope for a second chance. Hope that something else will happen. Hope that, in fact, God will intervene. And then I went to the Bible dictionaries, and I, and I wrote down some definitions of hope. And this, these are amazing. Uh, some of them are amazing. Baker says, uh, hope being defined, an ex expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. That's what we would think hope is. It's an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. The New Bible Dictionary says hope, it would seem, is a psychological necessity if man is to envision the future at all. Even if there are no rational grounds for it, man still continues to hope. Very naturally, such hope, when it appears to be justified, is transient and illusionary. It is remarkable how often it is qualified by poets and other writers by such epithets as faint, faint hope, trembling hope, feeble hope, desperate hope, or phantom hope. The Bible sometimes uses hope in a conventional sense. The plowman, for example, should plow in hope, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, for it is the hope of reward that sweetens labor. But for the most part, get this, for the most part, the hope with which the Bible is concerned is something very different. Not just anticipating things that we, hope, we, we think might happen. And in comparison with other hope, it is scarcely recognized at hope. The majority of secular thinkers in the ancient world did not regard hope as a virtue, but a temporary illusion. Paul was giving an accurate description of pagans when he said they had no hope in Ephesians 2 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The fundamental reason for this being that they were without God. People without God have no hope except for transitory moments, fleeting moments, when they, when they get this, this thing of hope in their mind. But where there is a belief in the living God who acts and intervenes in human life and who can be trusted to implement his promises, hope is the specifically biblical sense becomes possible. Biblical hope is inseparable, therefore, from the faith in God. I love that. Biblical hope is inseparable, therefore, from faith 
in God. And when I get to the point of losing hope in something, when I get to the point when saying uh, there, there's nothing can be done for this person, there's nothing can be, what can be done for our country? We're so divided. There's that hope that God is, is above all and behind all and beneath all and on every side and in front and in back. And God can dynamically change a nation in an instant of time. On 9-11, he changed this country. And the next week, churches were filled and overflowing. The problem is it didn't last. The problem is we, we, we took this, this hit, this tragic hit, the Pentagon and, and, and the Twin Towers in a field in Pennsylvania, and we saw that something devastating could happen on the shores of the United States of America, and we as a nation and as a people did not repent. But I want you to know something. There's still hope for America. There's hope that we can still be a beacon and a lighthouse in a dark world. There's hope that this can be turned around so that we can continue to help those Christians who are persecuted in other countries and other lands. I have a hope. You know why? Because I have God. I have a belief in God. A God that's all-powerful. A God that's omniscient. A God that loves us. Not some brooding God who, who's trying to squash us and kill us and take our lives away. A God who loves us enough that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. Biblical hope is inseparable from faith in God. And it's altogether different than what the natural secular person has that's called hope. Lexham Bible Dictionary says, it's the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past with trusting human responses in the present, that the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in the present and in the future. I know there's a lot to comprehend at once. Let, let me give you another one. Easton's Bible Dictionary, hope, one of the three main elements of Christian character in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's joined with faith and love, faith, hope, and love, or charity. And as opposed to seeing or possessing, it's different from seeing or possessing. It doesn't take faith when you see something. It doesn't take faith when you possess something. It takes faith and hope when you're looking for something. Hope is an essential and fundamental element of Christian life, so essential indeed that like faith and love, it can designate the essence of Christianity. Unbelievers are without this kind of hope. Christ is the actual object of the believer's hope because in it is his second coming and the hope of glory that will be fulfilled. It is spoken of as a living hope, a hope not frail, not perishable, but is perennial. A hope uh, that is spoken of is objective, the hope that's set before us, that is namely eternal life. We have hope in him. We have hope on him. Our hope is based on God. Oh, there's so many illustrations of hope in the Word of God, and I'm coming to the end of the message, but Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 22, he, Abraham, did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. Therefore, his faith was credited to him as righteousness, right standing with God. He took his son. He took the son of his old age, the one for whom he had prayed all of his life. He took that son up on top of Mount Moriah, where the Dome of the Rock is now, a high and holy place for, uh, for Islam. And he took that son and put him on the mount and put, it, put the wood down and on the altar and tied his son and put his son there and raised his hand with a knife. Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't. The hope he had, the faith he had, makes mine as if it doesn't appear at all, as if I have none. And I have no doubt he would have plunged that knife down and offered his son if, in fact, that's what God had in mind. But God didn't. God had in mind showing us that Abraham was a man of faith and that faith was counted unto him for righteousness. Jeremiah, I just finished that in my, the book of Jeremiah and my daily devotions, moving on to Ezekiel. But Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you, that's your favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. You know what? Where Jesus is, there is hope. 
So, you know, do you have Jesus? Is he in your heart? Is he in your life? If he is, you should have hope. Don't drown in the watery grave of doubt, but hope in him. Hope for Tuesday. Hope for America. Hope for our cities and our states and our our churches. Hope. Hope for the resurrection. Hope for eternal life. Hey, when I was 21, 22, 24, 25, 30, I didn't think about what it was like to contemplate one's death. Did you? I didn't. It's like I was going to live forever, right? The older you get, you start thinking about things. So you better have a hope that goes beyond this life. You better have faith in a Christ that lives longer than this old body is going to live in this earth. Do you have Christ in your life right now? Do you, do you, do you really live for him? Because then if you do, we have the blessed hope. Hey, we may cheat death in our generation because we have the blessed hope that Christ is coming again. I would love that. I'd love it if it happened in church. I just, you know, just boom, the trumpet sounded, we're out of here. Yeah? I'm ready. Are you? Let's bow our heads. God in heaven, if someone here does not possess the hope that we've been talking about and preaching about, may today be the day they, they accept Christ as a person. So where Christ is, there is hope. Where Christ is not, there is no hope. The best we can hope for if Christ is not real, if the gospel is not real and valid, the best we can hope for is just to be dead and everything to be over with and not to know anything, but your word teaches there's a whole lot more to the afterlife than that. There's either heaven or hell, depending on our relationship with Christ. So Lord, I pray that everyone here would have that hope, and everybody watching at home would have that hope, and if they don't, that they would determine right now to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their God. And if you're at home watching or you're in the auditorium, it doesn't make any difference where you are. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior today, here's what you do. Pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I've not obeyed you. And I know that I'm going to die one day. It may be sooner than later. I don't know when it'll be. It's an uncertain time because I don't know when it's going to be. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was your son. And I believe you when you say, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God has raised him from the dead that we can be saved. So this morning, right now, November the 1st, 2020, God, I ask you to forgive me my sins. Be my God. Be my Savior. Jesus, be my Lord, my Master. Holy Spirit, indwell me right now. I trust you. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed. If you just prayed that prayer in the auditorium, if you just prayed that prayer right now and you meant it with all your heart, would you lift your hand up? Hold it up for just a moment. I won't embarrass you anyway. Just hold it up for a moment so that I can pray for you. God bless you. Other, others. Anyone else? All right, would you look up this way? Everybody look up here. On the back next to the, to the sound booth, there's some, a table with some blue bags, blue plastic bags. You who prayed that prayer just a few moments ago, you know who you are. Go back there, pick up one of those. If we can help you in any way, we would be glad to. Uh, if you'd like to become a member of First Baptist Church, check with me. We'll talk about it. If you want to be baptized, we'd love to take care of baptizing those who put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and say, but right now, we're going to go into communion service. And so if you have uh, received Christ as your personal Savior, and this is uh, a, a way of commemorating the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. So the Bible says we're to examine ourselves. So I want you, as we examine in this next song, uh, Gary's going to be coming from the back. Steve will be coming from the front. If you did not get the elements, they will give these to you. So just raise your hand up as the praise team leads us in this song.
Passover that Jesus would partake of on earth. He says, I have received of the Lord that which also delivered unto you, or Paul recounting this, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, she broke it and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Ryan's going to come and ask the blessing on the bread, which is typical of the sinless body of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son and um, for the incredible sacrifice that he bared for us. And um, we just remember him. We remember you, Jesus. And we thank you that though you died and your body was broken for us, and we, we eat this bread as a rem in a remembrance of your sacrifice for us, we rejoice because you are alive today. You are active and you are not dead. And therefore, our faith in you um, makes us alive and restores our relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. As he broke the bread, he said, Take heat, this is my body broken for you.
John Lauer, would you come and offer the prayer for the Jews? After the same manner, the Bible says he took the cup, which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you have given us, and that hope is only in the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb that you sent for our sins. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to remember his death on the cross and his resurrection. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And he said, as he took the cup, he gave thanks, drink ye all of it. The Bible teaches then they went out to the Mount of Olives and sang a hymn. And let's join together. Well, you know what? Yeah, join together as much as you can, being socially distanced. And uh, we're going to sing a chorus of Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. America like you've never prayed before. God bless you. Have a great rest of the Lord's day.